Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Pretty much as soon as I stood up, I felt really faint and then I collapsed and I wasn't breathing and I was still conscious and the emergency staff came in and you know, I still wasn't breathing and I could hear what they were saying and they're saying he doesn't have a pulse and they were saying my blood pressure and you know, I, I was really aware where everybody was in the room and at one point I said, like I, I knew that I was in real, real trouble and I thought this is what it's like to die. Welcome to Men's Health Australia's Strength Sessions podcast, a forum in which we talk to men from all walks of life who found the strength within, stomp on adversity and achieve their goals. Whether you're looking for an edge in the gym, at work, on the sporting field, or just want to level up across the board, the men featured here can help unlock your potential. I'm Editor-in-Chief Ben Jody. What happens when you die? It's a question all of us ask ourselves at some point. But what if I was to tell you there are people who've died and come back who believe they know the answer? For those who've had a near-death experience, life is often never the same again. More importantly, they no longer fear death. This was the case with today's guest, Ash Perro. In November 2016, the Sydney musician had a near-death experience after routine back surgery went disastrously wrong. Before blacking out, Perro remembers a doctor saying he doesn't have a pulse. What happened next made Perro reevaluate his view of the world and his place in it, and it made him reassess his life and what he wants out of it. Hi, Ash. So, first of all, I, I have I watched the video on your website of where you recount your story, so I, I guess I know mm -hmm. the, the bare bones of the story. But I was wondering if you could tell us that in your in your own words. Yeah. So, in what was it, November twenty sixteen. I went in for a back operation and that was to have spinal fusion. And I'd had two, um, two deteriorating discs in my lower back. And during the operation, they tore a vein and they didn't know. And they stitched me back up and sent me back to the ward. And then during the night, I was, had a lot of pain. And you know, I kept saying to the nurses, I'm in a lot of pain. And they're like, I oh, just pressed the fentanyl button. And you know, the next day, the physio came to get me up. and when I sat on the edge of the bed, I looked down at my leg and it was really swollen. And I said to him, oh, my leg's not normally like that. And he said, oh, you'll be okay. Just we'll get you up because you know that's part of the rehab is they get people up the next day. So the body starts to heal because it's active. And yeah. pretty much soon as I stood up, I felt really faint. And then I collapsed um, and I wasn't breathing and I was still conscious. And he pressed the red emergency button and the emergency staff came in and immediately you know, put on the mask on me, put on um, the sensors. I don't know what they're called. And you know, I still wasn't breathing and I could hear what they were saying. And they're saying he doesn't have a pulse. And they were saying my blood pressure. And you know, I, I was really aware where everybody was in the room. And at one point, the doctor 
who did the surgery came in as well. And I could see like another guy over there who was writing notes down everything that they said. He would like look at the person and write it down. Um, and at one point I said, like, I, I knew that I was in real, real trouble. And I thought this is what it's like to die. And I, and I had the mask on, but I was like, ring my partner, ring my partner. And I didn't want to die alone. Like I, and that was the, the saddest piece was that I was in a room surrounded by strangers and I started to black out. And one of the last things I heard them say was his blood pressure is 52 on 36. Um, and I also remember looking at the physio who was standing just over there and he was only a young guy, like he must have been fresh out of uni and he just looked so scared. And I just thought, you, you poor bastard, you, you think you've killed somebody. And then I blacked out and I was like, everything went black, but I was really surprised that I could still think. And so I experienced, and you would have seen this in the video, but I experienced that it was like a, a drop in a pond and that I became these ripples that were just going out and out in, in all directions. And the longer I was in, and it was totally black. It was just like this, this total blackness. And the, the ripples was a feeling. It wasn't something I could see. And the longer that I was there, the more the ripples just kept going and going and they weren't stopping. And I started to say, like, I, I knew that but I was dying. And I, I, I started to say in my conscious awareness, you know, I, I don't have like, particularly at that point, I didn't have the right words to describe what it was. And, you know, it's consciousness. So it's almost impossible to describe anyway. And yeah, but I started, you know, I had this experience where I could still think and I was saying, I want to stay. And I repeated that a few times. And then I started going through all the things that I wanted to stay for. And it was like, I want to stay for my partner and now she had two kids and I had a daughter and so we had a blended family and I was and I I said I want to stay for my partner and I still had this sensation of just going 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 and then I said I want to stay for the kids and the same sensation going just expanding and then a warmth came over me and I said I want to stay for the work that I do and walk the planet from my heart and the moment that I expressed that it was like instantaneous eyes open back into my body and insane levels of pain like just you know I already knew level 10 pain from my back from you know the nerve pain level 10 nerve pain but the pain coming back into my body because I'd lost so much blood and the pressure on the organs it was just insane so like I, I started screaming like and so you know it was really curious that for me that I didn't have any pain until I came back in. And so mm. like the whole experience, I wasn't in pain. Like the whole experience yeah. of, of dying, I didn't have any physical pain. And, you know, and, yeah. but I, I do remember being bathed in sweat and um, a friend of mine who's an emergency nurse said, yeah, that's like the shock reaction that the body goes into. Um, yeah. And so from there, then I start to get really hazy what happened. Like I remember them, rushing me through the halls down an elevator and I'm not sure if it was they put me in an MRI or a CT scan or something and you know I was still just in crazy levels of pain but they weren't giving me painkillers but you know they knew it was massive blood loss and they were trying to find out where from um 
And so from there, I ended up in ICU and I, you know, I, I was really sick. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even move. And they put me on morphine for a few days, which was just horrible. Like that, I just hallucinated and tripped out. And it, it was like every, if I, if I blinked like that, just like that, I hallucinated. It was insane. And um, so eventually after a couple of days, I was just like, I, I, I could just speak. And I was like, no more morphine, no more morphine. Um, and yeah, I remember one of the first things I said to a nurse that I was talking to was, um, that's so grateful to have this experience of, and I know this level of suffering and I could have gone my whole life without suffering, but I also was aware I had the contract. Like I'd, I'd had this sort of experience that I couldn't explain. And at the end of it was this agreement that I had to do the work that I do, which you know, I did have a download of what that looked like, which was just be myself, share myself. And I didn't get the details. It was just like this broad vision of what that meant to be myself, share myself. And yeah. also to walk the planet from my heart. And when I was in the ICU, I remember thinking I haven't been living from my heart. And that's why I had to go through this was to find out. And um, yeah, I, I was really grateful that, somehow I was able to come back like you know billions, yeah. billions of people die and and I was somehow allowed to come back um yeah and yeah so so from that moment it's like ah what does it mean to live from the heart and and exploring all the conditioning that you know like we have the essence of ourself and then all the conditioning that happens in life so since then it's been like ah, oh, what does that what, what am I? Who am I if I take away the conditioning? And so there's been an exploration of that. And, you know, pretty much as soon as I was well enough, it, it took me seven and a half months to eight months to get back to full-time work. Um, yeah. But within a few months, I, I went on a retreat called The Path of Love to, to discover. I was like, and I'd done some of their work previously, but I was like, I need to find out how to live from my heart because evidently I haven't been doing that and you know I was I was being I was being kind and I was treating people with respect and but you know I I know now that I was just sacrificing myself for others and wasn't really doing what was right for me or what I felt called to do all right I think you mentioned that the 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 period where you were blacked out did they did people tell you afterwards that your that you had your heart had stopped beating or that kind of thing where you know what happened during that that period mm -hmm. well the the surgeon said to me you know i i said something about that and he said oh yeah you definitely gave us a fright but okay. we knew you were going to be okay. okay um and and talking to friends of mine that uh you know, that particular friend who's an emergency nurse he was like fuck dude you went as close as you can possibly go okay yeah. um and yeah, so I definitely think that the hospital was in damage control because they were afraid of being sued, which, you know, and, and I often get asked, you know, why didn't you sue the hospital? And I figured I, I created it. Like I, I, it was my life path to experience that. And it was like so many things had to go wrong for me to be in that situation. And even having the back injury in the first place was, um, 
yeah, I, I, I created the back injury and I remember I was going for a surf and I'd been surfing all week and I didn't want to go back to my job and the surf was pumping and there was nobody out. It was like just before dawn. And I heard a voice in my head say to me, if you go out right now, you're going to hurt your back. It was like just this bomb from somewhere. And I said, and I remember saying, bring it on because I didn't want to go back to work. And then, so I like, and the second duck dive, I, I popped two discs and um, yeah. So, uh, so I, I never sued because, you know, I, I figure it was you know, that for me to wake up and become who I need to be and still becoming that, that was my, my path. And so it was almost like all those mistakes or things that didn't go as planned led me to, to actually get a second chance at life. Did you, uh, apart from that doctor, did you talk to any of the other people in the room? No. Um, um, and, and, you know, the other thing was that I never, one of the reasons I never asked was because I knew what my experience was yeah. and I thought I can go seeking and ask what the doctors say and, and what their perspective is and it might void what my experience was. And I'm, I thought, you know, what, I'm just going to trust that that was the experience that that happened. And um, yeah, there was something else there that I can't remember. But yeah, yeah, I, it was kind of like, well, you know, the doctors will say one thing, like you gave us a fright, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that could be a euphemism for a lot of. <laughs> that could be. Yeah. Did you? So you mentioned before, before you went blacked out. You had mm -hmm. quite an awareness of people in the room, but when you were in, when you did blackout, did you, did you have any out of, was your out of body experience, like from the black, you couldn't mm -hmm. see in the yourself on the bed or like you weren't floating, you weren't doing any of that kind of thing. No, no. So I didn't have any of that kind of observer thing that people can have where they, you know, can see the room or, you know, I don't know if you know, about Anita Mojani. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, whereas her experience, she could hear people down the hallway that it was impossible for her to hear yeah. and she could word for word recount what happened down the hallway. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, with the, the ripples that mm -hmm. were spreading out, did you have any inclination to see where those ripples went or were you very clear from the beginning that you wanted to come back? Yeah, I was very clear I wanted to come back. I felt like... I hadn't done what I wanted to do. And so it was like, you know, yeah. I, I, I think it's quite funny that I was grasping so hard to life. And I go, you know mm -hmm. what? The next time that I die, I'm just going to surrender. I'm just rather than, you know, fight it. The next time I die, I want to just be like, okay, let's go. Because I know it goes somewhere. Yeah. Um, and you didn't have a, like, it was more that you wanted to come back rather than, there wasn't any fear of where those ripples went. It was. No. Okay. No. In terms of sensations, I think in the video you, you mentioned uh, that there was a feeling of calmness and warmth or, mm -hmm. um, were, those the, were those the main sensations that you felt during that time? Yeah, along with the ripples. Like yeah. along with just okay. constantly going out and, you know, and, you know, people talk about the DMT release that can happen when people die. I don't know if you've read anything about that. Yeah. Um, 
and you know since then i've i've you know explored a lot of plant medicines and you know also through breathwork experienced dmt releases and it wasn't like what i experienced yeah. often um, you know, often people talk about the colors and and the visuals that come i i didn't have that yeah yeah so so i don't really you know have a sort of explanation for what happened does the dmt release is that also related i guess with uh silo mushrooms i guess uh the, yeah the feelings of uh oneness and interconnectedness did you have yeah. any you didn't have that feeling no and i think i didn't go deep enough right so it's like you know like some mm -hmm. people they're out for 20 minutes right or, or they're yeah, in a coma yeah. for days and they're they're in this experience whereas for me it was you know i i don't even have a time frame but i i i'm thinking it would have just been a few minutes and yeah i feel like i didn't go that that deep to experience that yeah all right so when you um said uh that you want to stay for your work and you made the contract to walk the the planet from your heart did you have a sense of who you were talking to in who mm -hmm. yeah that's a good question and you know for me it's i actually think i made a contract with my higher self or my soul or you know whatever that is and once again you know it's it's in the land of consciousness so there's no real words to describe what that is but yeah i feel yeah. like i was i was negotiating with the higher version of myself okay yeah interesting mm -hmm. um yeah that, like that could be your soul or yeah, who knows but <laughs> yeah all right well that was five years ago six almost five yeah, five yeah, and six yeah what, what would you say are the biggest differences between the man you were uh, before that and uh who you are today mm -hmm. well you know looking back now i can see that i was suffering like i was in a in a world of suffering trying to trying to work out how to be in the world and be happy and you know the the biggest glitch that i had was that i wasn't doing things for me and uh, i was doing it for everybody else and you know as a result like you know i'd stopped playing music which you know had been i'd been doing that for now i've been doing it for uh, well performing for almost 20 years right yeah and i just you know i i had this perception that i had to be the responsible family person and that 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 sort of perception was so strong that it was ruining my life and mm. be, because i wasn't doing what what i loved it was also impacting my family as well even though that's what i was trying to do it for and so now it's like oh, okay well there's certain things that i have to do and you know, generally i know it's helping people and it's playing music um and me playing music helps people just you know just by me playing music being seen doing that um yeah and another thing is like i love the the experience of being in the world now like there's a lot less resistance to like you know i used to hate crowds or i used to hate you know cities or things like that whereas now i'm like inner west sydney it's okay you know i'd rather be in nature but inner west sydney's you know um, i'm happy here um yeah and just wanting to adventure and experience life a lot more yeah um and also from going through that much suffering it had you know, a deeper empathy for others around their suffering and 
but also yeah. not getting sucked into suffering, like just sort of seeing that suffering's the gateway to joy yeah. rather than, you know, having to save everybody that was around me from their own suffering. Now I see it as, you know, a gateway for their own joy. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, I think often in the accounts I've read, you know, I guess some people emerge from having this kind of experience sort of almost inverse to what you're describing a little bit in that they were perhaps, I guess, selfish before before the experience and that now they want to go the other way and become, you know, more selfless. Whereas it seems like you were already a selfless person looking out for others to the detriment of your own self and that you needed to prioritise that more. Is that a fair mm. way to put it? It is, and I'm smiling because I've never heard anyone say that before. But I, and it's very true. So, yeah, well, yeah. A lot of people, it's it's more of a Hollywood movie of the selfish mm. guy becomes selfless because of having a near death experience. But mm. your, yeah, yours is slightly it's in, different and quite intriguing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think I learned it from my mother, right? Like she's a mm. nurse, and and you know, was always giving herself to the detriment of herself, like to the extreme where it impacted her health or her finances or, um, yeah. And so that was just like the conditioning that I had to, to explore. Yeah. I think you, you said, um, you ask people now, if people ask you, I guess, or you do workshops and stuff, what is the gift that you have to give? It, so has your experience led you to believe that um, all of us have, have something to give and that we we may or may not be doing that yet definitely definitely and you know i think i think most people aren't doing that like you know i think there's very 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 few people that are giving the gift of themselves to themselves first which then is the gift to others yeah um and yeah and that's why i work with lots of creatives because it's like they you know they're creating things and sharing them which is, you know, and creativity is just the exploration of the self, really, right? Because to be creative and share it, we have to know the self and there's all these little barriers. So I like it as like an exploration of, of who we are and, and that we have to navigate our, our blocks and our conditioning to step into sharing our creativity. Mm. Um, yeah, so I would say, you know, it's the giving of ourselves the way that we think we should give ourselves with with clarity like you know because it's like I was giving myself but it wasn't with clarity yeah and there was there was part of me that really did want to play music there was part of me that didn't want to be a school teacher anymore after at that stage I think it was almost 20 years of teaching and you know I, I had wanted to stop being a teacher from the second year of teaching yeah and I was just sucked in there and and was too afraid to make the change and post near-death experience I I, I stuck with teaching for another two years or so and then yeah three years and then January 2020 I was like I'm out I'm out mm. it's done and and you know what happened was at the end of at the end of 2019 I hurt my back again at work right. and I was like you know I, I've been here before I, <laughs> I know I know and I was I wasn't happy at work and I fucking hurt my back again and so yeah so since then it was like you know it took me a couple of months to get my back right again and then I, and I was out mm. I was like okay I can't you know I don't I've already fucking died once I don't need to to keep going down the same path anymore yeah so pr prior to the experience you were a full-time teacher and part-time musician is that how 
or were you? Mm-hmm. I was doing teaching four days a week and I was yeah. doing music, music with kids with special needs. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think over five years, I did about 3000 sessions, but once again, it was like giving, 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 giving. Whereas, you know, in my heart, I wanted to be writing songs and doing shows and performing and traveling. And I was kind of, I was compromising. Interesting. So are you, would you, are you now a more spiritual person than you were before? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I guess for me, like spirituality is there's something more than just the physical. Yeah. And so, yeah, like now, now I'm like, I know there's something beyond death. And sometimes I'll think of things that happened where I got messages or things like that when I was younger. And so, for example, like, you know, if you go for a surf right now, you're going to hurt your back. And so I sort of connect those things or, or dreams that I've had that were premonitions to stuff that was about to happen. Mm. Um, so I kind of, there's, there's something there that, that happens mm. and that I don't understand. And the other one is, you know, things like having explored like mushrooms and, and DMT and, and ayahuasca and things like that. There's something else really powerful in, in those that's a spiritual experience. And yeah, and there's there's a great book called The Immortality Key, which is a. a, Have you read that one or know of that one? Heard of it? I haven't read it. Yeah, and yeah, controversial because he's like the whole foundation of Christianity is based on psychedelics on on mushrooms, right? Um, and that was the experience of God, and then what happened was they took the psychedelics out (laughs) because they wanted to control the populations as they they went along. And um, that for a long time, the only people that had access to the psychedelics were the the hierarchy in the in the church. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, and the the whole like you know the foundation of the witch hunts and things like that comes from the witches delivering psychedelics to people. Wow. So, so it's really like you know it's, right. it's interesting that the foundations of experiencing God come from the use of, of plant medicines and you know, there's a whole like stoned ape theory and things like that mm. that you know we, we evolved because of the use of those those mushrooms and things like that yeah wow so uh i guess conversely mm-hmm. uh, how do you feel about i guess uh scientific um explanations for near-death experience in that um like for example because uh psychedelics are often used as a comparison to near-death experience in that, you know, the idea that, you know, the brain filters out a lot of stimuli, like it only uses the stimuli needed to survive and that by using substances like that or having a near-death experience, that the burst of electrical activity um, after death or around death time sees different parts of the brain, you know, the filter and the blinkers come off and different parts of the brain speak to each other and it's that what, I guess that uh, may allow the full spectrum of stimuli to be seen, and that's why people perhaps can uh, are able to report on what happened to them while they were mm. unconscious and that kind of thing. You know, so how, how do you feel about scientific explanations? Well, I don't have an answer as far <laughs> as you know whether or not they're right or wrong. Yeah, but and I'm and I'm so open to them. Like it's yeah. like you know, but. I guess I come to the point that if, you know, those, if those chemical reactions and those things are happening, why are they happening? Hmm. Like, what is the, what is the evolutionary benefit to 
to humankind and nature that this happens because you know there's nothing random that happens in far as mm. that you know if it's if it's not of benefit it gets stripped away yeah well i guess from what i've read they see it's framed as a it's the brain the brain's final effort to survive is mm -hmm. is to try and save itself with this kind of burst of activity and you know going through memories and stuff trying to find something to hold on to i, I don't know they, yeah. but who knows again mm. um yeah well you know they like you know with the medicines it's like the idea that the the ego when that comes away it mm. opens up the channels yeah right so that we yeah. can be we can connect to, to spirit or source or whatever people call it yeah so i don't know if it's like you know at the last moments of life there's this opportunity to connect to spirit or whatever before we leave the body and it's the conditioning that's being stripped away so that we return to the the true essence of who we are that we arrived as babies yeah oh, interesting all right so how do you feel about death now it's really funny because more scared of death in some ways and more accepting so it's yeah. like now it's like i love life so much uh -huh. and that you know it's like this is a really great experience now and and so for me like you know new relationship being married for two years now and we've been together for almost five years um and you know my whole life has changed like i now live in sydney back to music not teaching anymore so all those things you know i still have a lot of the same friends but there's so much that's changed so you know i i really love life it's like i really love it so there's that side where it's like i don't want that to end but then there's the other side which i mentioned earlier is that i know there's something else and i'm open mm -hmm. to when when i die the next time i'm open to exploring what that is and yeah. um yeah i'll i'll think i'll hold on less this time mm, interesting um well i was going to ask you after asking how you feel about death how or how do you feel about life or living but you're pretty into living now so <laughs> yeah well and you know, like the other thing like say for example being a musician it's like i only have this body and these skills in this lifetime and so you know and this voice as well and so that that's something that it has changed like i i didn't used to sing at all i would write songs and other people would sing them all and whereas now i you know probably three years three and a half years ago after the near-death experience i had this voice that kept saying sing sing you gotta sing and so i started having singing lessons and now i do it every day and now i sing and perform and um but i'm only in this body once and so you know i can have multiple lifetimes possibly but i'll never have this voice again you know I'll, I'll never have these instruments or never have this this experience of being in this body possibly on a different planet who knows like so it's like ah like i really need to explore that and engage with that and and really value that and yeah that that's that's my sort of my medium or mode of joy this time around yeah. and if i do music and live that sort of creative life everything else that i need in my life comes in all right great all right um well thank you very much for your time and for telling us that that story is i know you told it a lot of times but it is very powerful so yeah mm. thank you very much for that yeah and thanks uh, ben yeah all the best with your uh career and uh 
yeah and your, your contract yeah yeah thank you and um I, I i said to my wife i was like if i got contacted by a magazine by choice it would be men's health so it was great to hear from you <laughs> so you know yeah thank you all right yeah well, it was a good chat great all right, all right. thanks, thanks Ash. take all it right. easy you too see you for more from men's health pick up a copy of our latest issue you can find it on newsstands or online via apple news plus Visit us at menshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at menshealthau. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.